Thanks for joining episode 11 of Your Body Advocate. Today we have part two of an interview with Stacy and Marcus Noggle. They are the owners and founders of YourVeganFamily.com. Today we're talking about eating for excellence. It's a great interview. Let's take a deep breath to relax. Ready? All right, let's go. You're listening to Your Body Advocate, telling your body's side of the story. The podcast dedicated to supporting and improving your body-mind connection so you can live a pain-free, passion-filled life, dissolving one body tension at a time. Discover the healing properties of your own body language, and together, let's explore ways to support and improve essential self-talk. Now, here's your host, Master of Encouragement and Body-Mind Life Coach, Ruth Cummings. I appreciate you bringing up the, um, like, I, I hear this all the time and, and I, and I don't know what to say about it. I don't know. You know, I, I haven't studied nutrition, but, um, is I love the faster recovery time and to tell, you know, the athletes to try that if they're, you know, if they can try plant-based diet right now, just to recover faster, just try it now. Like, you know, a, a spring point, but also the conversation of I can't build muscle without me. What say you? <laughs> oh, this is a long, complicated topic when we get into protein. We were talking about this before we even yeah. started to talk with you today, you know, about the whole protein conversation. And it's it's complicated. I think that, you know, most doctors don't take more than a class in nutrition in their medical school. And and as the Further than that, most average people, whether they've been to college or not, know nothing about nutrition when it comes right down to it, except maybe something they've seen on TV or they've read on the back of the cereal box or, you know, again, that's been passed down in their family that honestly may or may not be accurate. Um, And so I think that I think a couple of things I think one is if you ask an average person, grab 10 people off any street in the United States and ask them, you know, what do proteins do in the body? What do carbohydrates do? You know, just basic questions. You don't burn protein for energy. You burn carbohydrates and fats for energy, right? And then we've taken fats and made them into good fats and bad fats to make it even more confusing. And we've gotten into a place where it's all about protein, 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 protein. And it's obvious because in the United States, we eat more protein than practically anywhere on the rest of the planet. In some cases, by more than double what other cultures would eat in a given day. And whether it's causal or not, who knows, but we have higher rates of cancer. We have higher rates of heart disease. We have higher rates of diverticulitis. We have higher rates of all different, you know, about 15 or 20 different diseases that could be directly related to or, or correlated to how we eat. And we eat as much as twice as much protein as many other cultures that have longer life expectancies and have higher quality of life as well. And so I think that there's more to be studied for sure. Um, But protein, like anything else, there's a spectrum, there's too little, and there's too much. And depending on what your activities are, um, we all fall in a different place in that spectrum based on our body type but we all fall in a different spectrum spectrum based on what we're doing. If I'm a high endurance 
uh, athlete at altitude versus, you know, somebody who's sitting behind a computer for 50 hours a week doing computer programming, you know, their needs probably are a bit different, right? And so it's very individual, but I think on the whole, being curious about what you eat and getting more educated about what you eat and trying to vet your information from sources that are reliable, that do come from clinical trials, that do come from places that have been studied and looked at from afar. You know, oftentimes when somebody would say to me, well, how much protein do I need? Well, I know if I look for that number in the United States, it's going to be very different than if I go to the World Health Organization's mm -hmm. chart that says for 160 pound male, you need on average each day about 60 grams of protein. You know, in the United States, many people are getting 100, 120, 150 grams of protein, depending on whether you ate a steak that was 15 ounces or, you know, 10 ounces or eight ounces for dinner, but they're eating meat every single day. Um, and uh, every single meal, excuse me, and then every single day on top of that. You know, the World Health Organization also classified processed red meat, was it two years ago now or three years ago now, as a class one carcinogen, meaning that hot dogs are in the same category as cigarettes. Most people in the United States are unaware of that. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if smoking a cigarette and eating a hot dog are exactly the same thing, but they are both class one carcinogens as far as the World Health Organization is concerned. And they're, you know, a reasonably reputed body, depending on which country you, you come from. Um, and so, you know, there's, again, lots of information out there. It's super broad and sometimes very complicated. Um, but it's important to be curious and it's important to look to cast your net reasonably wide so that you find the thing that you're really looking for. And, you know, I think that there are all kinds of resources out there, too, and uh, right hearted, right minded people that are eager to help like we are. And so um, anyway, it's a complicated situation. I was an athlete all my life in high school and throughout college as well. And, you know, I ate my raw egg protein shakes and I grew up on a farm as Stacy did where we, you know, went out to the farm and there was the cow that became the little white wrappings in the deep chest freezer in the basement of T-bone, rump roast, sirloin. I drank a half a gallon of milk at every dinner. Um, you know, I, I was a meat and dairy and eggs. That's my, my family comes from dairy farming on my dad's side. And so I ate that diet. My family still eats that diet. Um, and in college, I went, moved reasonably slowly over a couple of years anyway, to a plant-based diet. And all I can say is that for me, my energy levels went through the roof. I even started to eat raw and then I felt like I was walking in the clouds and, you know, in a totally different solar system sometimes because I had so much energy um, and my muscle mass and my strength did not suffer for eating less protein than I had eaten before. And so I think, again, it's an, we're, we're all in a big experiment called life. And if you're looking for better results in your life, then you should do something different from what you're doing right now, because if you want positive change, well, then you're going to need to take some positive steps in a different direction, right? And I think that, you know, to take it full circle, you're asking last comments that we have, we started out with food's a very emotional thing. There's food is a very emotional thing. And I think advocating a plant-based diet or a predominantly plant-based diet can be highly controversial. There's food shaming that goes on now with all kinds of things. And, you know, oftentimes when we tell people, well, our, our boys have been vegan since conception, um, and they're thriving. They're super intelligent. They're highly active. They're loads of fun. Um, they're 
you know, you would not say that they're suffering in any way, and they've never eaten a cell of meat in their lives. Um, and lots of people would say, well, how do they survive on that highly restricted diet? Well, if you're a meat eater, you can eat about two dozen different types of meat. If you're a plant eater, and most people are omnivorous, but there are hundreds of different types of plants from all over the world. And I think if I were to take again, your average American off the street, especially if it was a kid and ask them what they eat, they would probably come up with 10 things that they eat on a regular basis. Pasta, pizza, if it's kids, chicken fingers, yogurt, maybe, maybe broccoli, if you're lucky, maybe grapes, I don't know, maybe some strawberries and a banana. But you're, you're gonna, you're gonna be around two dozen foods probably or, you know, that they eat just over and over and over again, repetitively. And so when you eat across a much broader range of fruits and vegetables, you're literally eating your multivitamin every single meal. <laughs> and, you know, over time, your tissues build up the vitamins and the amino acids and the things that you need in your body if you're eating again across a super broad range of fruits and vegetables. So I look at my kids and they eat everything within a plant-based diet and they eat thing. more things than most adults I know. So it's always ironic to me when somebody says, how are they surviving on this restricted diet? When I know <laughs> secretly that my kids probably eat 50 to hundred times different products than what the person asking the question is actually eating. Yeah. So they're much healthier. Yeah. Well, yeah, they seem to be subjectively, but, you know, we look also at the data and their height and weight. They're, you know, 75th-ish percentile for their height and weight um, for people their age. And we've had their blood drawn to go, you know, are, are we missing anything? You know, we think we're doing the right thing, but, you know, let's have a snapshot look at, the, at their blood results and they're perfect too. Like, so we've, we're looking inside, we're looking outside and, you know, you you can grow really healthy humans on a plant-focused diet. And, you know, you'd also asked about building muscle and forgotten his last name. It's difficult to pronounce the strong man of the world. His name is Pat. And if you look at the movie Game Changers, he's key in that. And he is one of the strongest men in the world. And he eats absolutely 100% plants. And he's huge. He is huge. <laughs> there are weightlifters that have been vegan their entire lives that are competing um, in weightlifting competitions. It's it eating plants has nothing to do with building muscle. You you know the body says, okay, am I getting all the amino acids I need and all of the vitamins, nutrients that I need in the right combination? And you can choose to do that through plants. And then you're getting more fiber, you're getting more antioxidants and you're getting um, a variety of mystery as well because we don't know everything about the food that we're eating. And there are synergistic combinations between different foods. And you know we will never know everything that's in broccoli or that's in a grape. Um, so when you're eating that variety, you're also getting a mysterious dose of good things for yourself. Wow. Yes. I love, I love, oh, wow. So we're already past an hour. You guys, okay. Anything else? I mean, we'll do it again, but in our same outfits, um, like, are you guys worn out? Do you want to say anything else? Let's see. 
Um, we could talk all day about it because we love it, but we want, we're here to serve your needs in the best way possible. So if there's something that would be helpful for you to touch on briefly, we'd be happy to do that. I can tell you all kinds of stories about Conor McGregor and an MMA crazy meat eater who got beat by a plant eater. I mean, there's all kind, there's load, there's so many things to talk about, right? I work um, at a lot of UFC fighters, so you should bring that story up. And um, they live in Albuquerque. It's <laughs> so. an amazing thing. You know, everybody will know Conor McGregor that's in MMA. I, I, the, the thing's not my thing, but I, I, you know, looked it up and researched it. And he's a, he's a full on crazy MMA fighter, right? He was at the top of his game and, you know, he, was going to fight one particular individual, isn't that four or five years ago when he was again, the, you know, he had the, the, the belt, he was the guy to beat for years on end. And the guy that he was supposed to fight fell ill or couldn't, you know, couldn't compete in this top title match. So the, the secondary, the alternate dude stepped in who was the vegan. And, you know, for two weeks prior to this fight, you know, Conor McGregor's, you know, yelling at him and I'm going to take you down. And I'm, everybody was basically saying this fight is going to go 30 seconds. It's going to be over. Meanwhile, Conor McGregor is getting ready to go and he's eating like 15 ounce steaks every night for dinner. And he's eating bacon and eating all this red meat to get him ready to go like a Roman gladiator. And this other dude who, you know, they're worried that he might, you know, get wiped off the planet, not just lose the match, but like get really hurt on top of it. And to make a very long story short, the vegan won. He outlasted him. He had more energy by about round three. Conor McGregor could hardly move. He was so, you know, just worn out. Worn out. And the, the vegan outlasted him. He had more energy and he more was just endurance. more endurance and more into it. And so... You know, again, I there's I think when we looked at when I talk about yoga, yoga for me is a very different thing than what it was to train to be an American football player in college, because an American football player in college and most other sports in college, quite frankly, in the U.S. are all about building strength when, you know, yoga is about balance, flexibility and strength. And I think oftentimes in college, we look at building strength to the detriment of flexibility. And if you look at what the optimal body types are for certain, you know, for certain sports and for certain positions in American football, which I played as well, very seldom is the extremely blown out as muscled, large human being, the, the format, the physical presentation that you want for optimum uh, athletic performance, maybe on the offensive or defensive line in football. And all those guys are like 300 and 330 pounds. You know, I'd hate to see what their cardiovascular profiles are going to look like in their, when they're in their forties or maybe even in their thirties, or even now, if you were to look at, that's kind of not what the body's really meant to look like. But if you look at inside linebackers now in the NFL, you know, these guys are like 250 pounds. They can jump 36, 37 inches. They run four, three forties. They can bench press 250 pounds. And they're flexible because they can cover wide receivers or they can hit a 250 pound running back. And so they found, you know, that that they don't maybe need to be as big as they once thought that they were or as muscular. They need to be fast and they need to be quick. And so I think, again, if you look at pro sports in the United States, we've it's it's it's, a, it's a, an experiment really that's gone on to getting really, really big. But then once it got really, really big and people got more and more injured and blew out more ACLs and, you know, they found that maybe they didn't necessarily perform better. The, you know, we're starting to get a little bit smaller again, but going for speed. 
and so agility. and agility and flexibility. And so, you know, I think that we need to look at it in a very broad-minded, open-minded, open-eyed way for exactly what does peak physical performance mean. It's not only about strength. Yes. And, you know, and, and it's so sad for me, I work on a lot of the athletes who are retired and they're a mess. And um, so there's obviously there's, there's no real care, especially in the money-making sports of the longevity of the person, yeah. and the longevity of them mentally, physically, emotionally. And, um, and that's a bummer. I mean, I don't think that'll ever change, but um, I agree like now, yeah, it's, it's less about bulk and more about flexibility in my in my career I have that the more flexible somebody is way it, it it just increases how fast they can heal and it's interesting that it's not just um their muscles that are flexible but their thinking if their thinking is flexible and their body is flexible it goes together and they're able to um try new things and you know this new conversation right now in the world is it's been there for a long time and it's it's you know for centuries but um right now is the should i use ice or heat yeah uh -huh. <laughs> right oh, and it comes up every other cold. decade you know it's this really fun you know oh it's ice oh my god don't use heat and then the same thing and you know i was brought up probably like you were marcus on rice you know, rest, ice, compression, okay. elevation. Absolutely. Everybody, and it's still like if my son is, he injures himself often and, um, you know, I get out the ice bag, you know, the ice peas or whatever. And um, I've learned, but it's just innate in many athletes. They just bring out the ice, get in the ice bath. And um, Tiger Woods yesterday after playing at the Masters was talking about putting his injured leg thank god he's there it was impressive to see him there but that in his uh recovery he puts his bot his leg in an ice bath um every day and i just wonder hey tiger you know could you try heat for just a week uh, just see <laughs> just see and yeah. alternating both of them you know in short yeah, bursts Increase the yeah. perfusion to the area. I mean, that brings the blood to the area, which then brings the nutrients to the area, presuming you're eating a nutrient-rich diet. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that will, again, just facilitate healing in ways that you wouldn't without it, right? Yes. And in Asian medicine, it's always heat. It's never ice. And you think, of course, it's thousands of years old, and people didn't always have heating in their homes. You know that. Right. So if you if you got cold, right, right. either one, you, you might not be able to warm up. So you know, there's some history around that. But you know, in an acupuncture clinic, we did so much moxa. If you had an injury, you were burning moxa to bring um, heat to the area. And you would be doing acupuncture to help decrease the inflammation locally, but mm, we never use ice. Right. It's like, yeah, it's funny getting those two, uh, those two head spaces together. So, you know, you get like a, you know, like a, like a physical therapist in, in this, in this decade and then an acupuncturist, <laughs> you have them talk. Mm -hmm. That's always a fun uh, uh, debate. And um, any college athlete will tell you that's sat, you know, from the waist down in an ice bath for 10 minutes. That's an unforgettable experience. <laughs> and I love ice baths. I mean, I have that Asian medicine yeah. background, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to get into an ice bath if I'm cold. 
and I'm not going to get into it if I don't have the opportunity to warm up. And it, you know, so there is that therapy, but also the experience that if you add ice to an area that's been injured, that cold can go deep and get settled in the area. And that will result in arthritis later on because often cold that's stuck in an area is the source of pain. Um, so looking long-term, those early injuries become something to tend to in later years. That's interesting. Cause I, for sure, I will deal with, uh, like a swollen, um, you know, oh yeah, I sprained my ankle when I was a senior in high school and they're in their fifties, you know, and it's still, it's still doing what it's doing yeah. and then using really intense heat on that, um, can sometimes just heal it, just the heat and like, wow, like they never did that. Like even yeah. taking a bath or, um, I just think that's fascinating how yeah. heat and ice can, can hold itself in places. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I was just going to say for my hands, I have a paraffin bath here. So between clients, I just, I put my hands in the wax and I love that. It really helps, you know, so I don't, but you know, I use ice too. Do you guys use ice? Like Marcus, like do. Do. absolutely. Yeah. And again, I, I will occasionally use ice by itself, but I'm a much bigger believer in, you know, 10 minutes of ice, 10 minutes of heat, 10 minutes of ice, 10 minutes of heat, be done. Or five and five or five and five. But I, I, I think that that, you know, it's the contrast, mm -hmm. which is what, again, is really perfusing the area with blood flow. And we constrict the vessels, then you expand them and you can, and it's just like a bellows on a fireplace, you know, <laughs> and at some point when you've stoked it up enough, that fire is burning bright, right? Um, and so I think that injuries for me, you know, again, in college, there would, there was no heat whatsoever. I mean, many of us sat in an ice bath if we were injured every single day after practice for weeks on end. Um, but I think as I've come to a different understanding, more information, more knowledge, and used my body in different ways, um, I do think that I wouldn't throw ice out, but I'm not sure that ice by itself is the thing to do. I mean, it's a good thing for swelling, maybe, you know, and as for an acute injury in, in the very beginning, but I think for optimum healing, just for optimum healing, the ice heat uh, differentiation is the best way to go. I, you know, I agree with you. That's where I, that's kind of where I live in the, you know, in the, the using both, but I, you know, like still like my acupuncturist that we, we see often, I mean, just still like if we use ice, you know, we are, we are like evil. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And, but I do, I'm just so used to it. It does take the pain away. If my hand is hurting from a long day of deep tissue, then uh, it does take the pain away. And, um, and, if but, that, and that's a great thing. If it takes the way, if ice works for you in that situation, awesome. You know, the placebo effect is real and who cares where it comes from or if it works or if it doesn't work. But if, if that ice brings you an emotional release from the situation, as well as physical comfort, well, why wouldn't you use it? It's got no side effects, right? As opposed to other things that you could be doing. And so, I mean, I think again, you know, for us as scientists, we would be very happy to sit here and say, science knows about 4% of everything that's out there and what goes on, meaning 96% of everything that we look around and we don't know anything about. And I think that the way that we find out about these ty types of things is to be curious and to experiment. 
and seeing yourself as your biggest petri dish um, is really important because I think again, you know, some of the patterns that we do have, whether they're eating patterns, whether whatever health patterns they might be, you know, are informed by our history and are formed by the generations and the people that have become before us. In fact, this might be the true definition of genetics, then kind of dividing it all up into chromosomes and little cells. And, you know, who knows? I don't, I'm not saying that I know, but we are informed by those types of things. And I think it's really important to look at why we are where we are, how we got there, and if it's serving us or not serving us as an experiment, an open-minded experiment with our relationships with our physical, mental, and emotional bodies. I totally agree. We could talk all day because I love all this stuff too. <laughs> and I well, thank yeah. you for talking to us. Oh yeah. All right. Um, so I'm gonna wrap. Let's see. Anything else we can add, you know? Um, you want me to, to help you with your launch. Mm. Oh, thank you. Um well, I'll give you a link for that. And so, so that that can be included. Thank you. Um, you know, something else that I would say is, you know, for getting people started towards a little healthier diet, you know, it's number one, eat across a broad range of fruits and vegetables. Like eat that rainbow every day. You know, when you go shopping at the store, you know, get a rainbow of fruits and vegetables in your cart, because then you know you're covering the nutritional spectrum too. You don't have to know about nutrition. You can eat by color. Um, and the other thing is to make sure that you're getting a lot of fiber in your food. So eating whole grains, um, eating your beans and your lentils and your fruits and vegetables, your nuts, some seeds, you're going to be getting a lot of fiber and that's going to make your gut happier. Your bacteria will be happier there. You'll have less inflammation and pain in the body. You'll get more nutrients out of the food that you do eat. It'll help your mood by producing more serotonin and some positive neurotransmitters. It's just a win, no matter how you look at that. Um, and the other thing is, to experiment with getting away from a plate where you have a protein, a starch, and a vegetable for your dinner. Uh, and to look at making meals that are, uh, Marcus calls them silver bowl meals or one pot meals. So you can do uh, you know, a stir fry that has a lot of things in it. And that's one thing on your plate, but everything's mixed in together. And if it's chopped small and you can't pick it out, you, know, you can't push it to the side of your plate it's hard to tease out with your fork you get a little bit of it in every bite those are flavors that you get familiar with and textures and textures that's you know with the kids we've been very mindful of that so for instance one of them was not so fond of mushrooms but we just chopped them up really small or we'd make gravy and we'd blend them in and so he became familiar with the flavor and texture of mushrooms and you know, now he loves them. I mean, for two years, he said he hated mushrooms, but yeah. he was already eating them, and you know, know, three times a week. <laughs> we just didn't talk too much about it. And then slowly we would let him know, well, yeah, these actually have mushrooms in them. And, you know, it was a process, but he now likes mushrooms and is yeah. happy to say he likes mushrooms, but it wasn't that way for a long time. Yeah. So those one pot meals, you know, like we have a recipe and these are all on the website, but uh, polenta pie. Where in the polenta, I have a 
bunch of, you know, onions and garlic and some peppers and things that are cooked into it. The polenta is not flavorless. It's highly flavored. And then you put, you know, black beans or refried beans on it, maybe some chopped up vegetables. And, you know, we use a vegan cheese. And then we, at the end, we put cilantro on the top and some salsa. I mean, that has, you know, at least a dozen different foods in it. Um, they're chopped small, they're cooked in different ways. It's really hard to pick things out, but a food like that, you know, the old mom's casserole, you know, fill it up with foods that you know are good for you. The foods, um, there's a Dr. Amen, he's a brain health specialist and he says, eat the foods you love that love you back. And so throw all of those into something and eat it up, you know, doctor up your spaghetti with a bunch of vegetables that cook down in it, make more of those soups and stews that you can add, you know, five different vegetables to, and you, you won't even notice it. So those one dish meals are a good way to start getting a bigger variety in without having to buy, to divide your plate up into more spaces. That is excellent. <laughs> I love one pot meals. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, and the stir fry, it is easy. Like you just put in the asparagus that you didn't use last night, or you put in the like little things in the refrigerator that are left over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So vegetables in uh, in our culture that are bought in with good intentions. Exactly. <laughs> I know. And um, next time, I would love to talk to you guys about gardening, but I'm sure that's a whole other uh, situation of a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. Health is like a garden. You know, that's a metaphor that I didn't bring up. But, you know, everyone looks at health and success and, you know, these beautiful lives and they're always pruning plants and trying to deal with this disease and that disease and propping them up. But really, when you take care of the base, when you take care of the health and the soil, which is always a combination of nutrients and microbes um, working together, when that soil is strong, the plants are just strong. The trees are just strong and you have so many less issues to deal with when you take care of the foundation of health first. And it's an interesting topic, again, in consideration of peak performance athletes and energy because raw food, you know, having eaten a raw food diet for a couple of years straight and we still focus on it while we're not eating an exclusively raw food diet. And I'm not sure that I would even recommend it for most people. It's super labor intensive to do it right. But the more raw food you eat, you know, straight out of the garden, you know, in, onto your plate, into your system, that's much highly, more highly energized, for example, with salad greens than something that's been triple washed, irradiated, put in a plastic bin, you know, shipped across the United States, sat on the shelf for three more days. And, you know, it might be organic salad greens, but if we're going to talk about how much energy or how much life force is really left in that food, it's a very different thing than going to your backyard, throwing some seeds down there, you know, and at least growing some salad greens that even if, you know, once or twice a week, you're eating salad greens that have been cultivated straight out of your, you know, garden and onto your table within five or 10 minutes, it's a very different eating experience from any other salad you'll get for sure. And so there's, and the same is true for some herbs and things that you would have in your diet. So you don't need to have, you know, a full blown garden in order to incorporate some freshly grown food in ways that can really serve you. I, I seriously would like to do a whole podcast on gardening. We have, um, there's a, uh, not only many of my clients, we talk about it and just, I, I don't think there's 
very many. I know I'm trying to think about that. That can say they have brought some uh, a salad from their garden to their plate. You know, it's mostly from the store. There's very few people really that I know. I'm thinking, I know a few, and you know, it, but I could count them on one hand. And, so, and the number one consumed vegetable in the United States is iceberg lettuce. Look up the nutritional profile of iceberg lettuce. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's yeah. remarkable. Remarkably low. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, or even, you know, anybody can grow sprouts in a jar. Yeah, you know that's not you know gardening outside, but not everyone has space, or they're in an apartment, and you know we almost always have a jar of sprouts that are growing, and then we add it to our salad, um, you know, or put it put a bit of it on a sandwich instead of a piece of lettuce. Uh, but they are just dynamite for nutrient composition, enzymes, which you know are part of what help you heal. You, you know, when you heal, you are fixing something, and enzymes do that for our bodies. And they are full of enzymes, they're full of nutrients, and they are just a snap to grow. All you need is a jar with a screen top and some seeds and water, a bit of sun. Is that on your website? We don't have that on there yet, we but should. we should. <laughs> it's on the list. It's on the list. We need to do a how to sprout video. Yeah, it's oh. so, and you can sprout so many things. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Big mung beans, like they put on the top of pad thai. To little tiny clover alfalfa garbanzo sprouts. beans or fenugreek or i mean there's so many yeah. things you can sprout i'm sprouting sunflower seeds today that i soaked last night to make a um, pate um it's just a yummy high protein good fat dip that we can use on sandwiches or with vegetables or you know whatever i'm but so I, go ahead I was just going to say quickly, your point's a great one around the gardening part of it because it's, you know, they're hand in glove with what you eat. And the more investment you make in what you eat, if you're now going to grow even just a little bit of your food, just your sprouts, or maybe some garden greens, or maybe some, some herbs. And those are the things that we would recommend first, because they're the things that, well, we should be probably eating the most of, right? But when you increase or deepen your relationship with food in that way it makes it much easier and more healthy to eat in a positive way and to you know kind of have the full system going for you instead of picking at all different parts of it you know knowing where your some of your food comes from growing some of the foods yourself you know all those types of things are critically important to making sure that actually what goes into your body is the best thing and the right thing for you I would like, like seriously to think about like, what would be the first five things for people to plant? I mean, if, if, if they like, I, I have a really big yard, but there's, you know, like things that you could do in containers in a, in a sun uh, yep. window sill yeah. you could make, you know, you could have all kinds of little, like, but I've never done that. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, that's, that what what are what are the five things that we would recommend? Well, we would always say salad greens because they're the most sensitive ones. They're critically important, and we, I, I think I would perish if I didn't eat a salad every day. And we eat one every meal, and the boys love it too. And we fed the boys salad in restaurants and every other place because most little kids can't get it on the fork. Therefore, they don't want to eat the salad. We fed them salad until they were probably like six. I don't know. Um, and they love salad. But, you know, a big part of what you, I would recommend to anybody to grow is, well, what do you like? 
right? And what are your growing conditions? And for us, I mean, we have way too many deer around here. And so we, you know, we have to be very conscious about some types of things. Our orchard and our garden is fenced in, but um, gardening can be very challenging too <laughs> if yeah. you choose the wrong things in the right. wrong place with the wrong critters around. And that can be, you know, a little demoralizing as well. And so I think if somebody were to introduce themselves to gardening, you want to set them up with some key success factors and, you know, pots on your deck or pots inside or some sprouts or some things that allow you to witness or be a part of or nurture the growing process before you get out into maybe some, you know, more difficult conditions or more variable conditions could set people up for success. Because I think, you know, gardening, geez, it can be massively depressing if the deer gets in and eats <laughs> everything that you've nurtured for forever, or the yeah. raccoons come in, or the soil wasn't right for this particular type of root vegetable. And, um, you know, I'd hate to see somebody try to get into it and then not have success and never want to do it again. Yeah. Well, I live in the desert. Uh, something challenging to build or to grow here not sometimes it is challenging so do things inside i'm going to try that all right yeah. guys um awesome job i will um i will put this together and let you know um when uh i have it together um and uh yeah you want to you want to do something else maybe in a month or so about uh um we can we can look at our calendar what do you yeah. think you okay. betcha Awesome. All right. Great. Thank you very much. Do you want to say a goodbye? I'll say, I'll say, this is what I'll say. Um, thank you so much, Stacy and Marcus for being here today with us. And uh, I think this is going to be a two part podcast and on YouTube. So I just appreciate your time and so much knowledge. It's been so fun. It's been, I love our conversations. Uh, so I can't wait to have another one. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Ruth, it's been such a pleasure. You know, we just, we are so passionate about what you can do and who you can become because of what you eat and to help people do this in a smart way that saves some time and makes them feel better and can bring their family together around food just makes us so happy. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to share. Yeah. Thanks for having us on and best of luck and all success with your important work as well. We really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, you guys. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you, you so much, Ruth. You too. Thanks so much for joining on this great interview with Stacy and Marcus. I hope that you do join their five-day challenge for free and learn oodles of information about eating better for you and your family. You can contact Stacy and Marcus from the show notes below this show today at yourveganfamily.com for more information. And I will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Your Body Advocate with Ruth Cummings. We're so glad you've joined us today and truly believe you can live a pain-free, passion-filled life. To connect with Ruth, work with Ruth, or to grab your free ebook, go to ruthcummings.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Until next time, friends, be open, include the unincluded, think outside the box, and spread love and kindness one smile at a time.